0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Case for Safety podcast. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today for a conversation about communication, a very uh, appropriate topic for for a podcast. We're going to be talking about how you can improve communication with your workforce and strategies you can use to do that. And uh, here to share those strategies and talk about how you can better communicate with those in your organization, I'm very happy to welcome Lindsay Bell. Lindsay is a certified safety professional and human performance manager at Air Products. Well, Lindsay, great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Great, it's good to be here, Scott.
0: Let's jump in now. First things first. Uh, before we kind of get into the strategies, I wanted to start off with, you know, why this is such an important topic for safety professionals. You know, why communication and along with that comprehension, you know, is so important to creating a safer workplace.
1: Yeah, well, you know, communication without comprehension is kind of futile. Um, it's you're just kind of spinning the wheel there. And without that comprehension, I mean, how can you really be sure that someone's being safe? So from like the most basic perspective, you have a regulatory obligation to make sure that people understand the hazards that they're working with. But then also just from a culture perspective and wanting to be world-class, communication is really the building block of what that world-class safety culture looks like. Um, and you need to be able to really adapt that, not just for you know language or visibility barriers, but there's a lot of context that goes into communication, especially when you're a safety professional. So you need to be able to understand how, when, and why to adapt those communication styles based on the contextual situations of what you're talking about. Are you training? Are you just trying to build relationships? Is there an issue in the field? Does the permit to work not make sense? Maybe it doesn't address the whole problem. And you have to really understand how to communicate that effectively to your workforce.
0: You mentioned things, you know, like language and visibility. There, I wonder if we could talk about those type of things, and you know, some of the the challenge safety professionals face in you know effectively communicating and making sure that the members of the workforce are comprehending, you know, the information they're receiving.
1: Yeah. So, you know, one of the first ones is you know language. Not everyone speaks English, right? So we need to make sure we're on the most fundamental, basic level translating the things that we want to talk about when um, we talk about visibility barriers, you know, not everyone has 20-20 vision. I definitely don't. So can people see it? Can they read it? Even just from, is the font big enough? I've seen so many things where I'm like, I can't read that, you know, or it's, you know, is the person colorblind? You know, are you working with systems? For example, um, I had an employee in the past that was colorblind, but not red-green. It was more of like a brown-purple issue. And a lot of the software we were using had a lot of things in like brown or things that weren't bold enough and he couldn't pick up on them and this guy is a mechanic, so he needs to be able to read these schematics. And so we were able to, you know, kind of change the accessibility settings, you know, in that program to make it so that he could see them better. And it really didn't affect anyone else. They thought it was better too. Things were bolder, things were sharper for them to see. So you have to really think about just basic things like that. But also, you know, are you talking to a new employee, someone who's only been there for three months? Do they know all the lingo? You know, do you have acronym alley going on? Like, do they, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. And you have to make sure you really understand that when you're trying to communicate, especially, you know, safety or like hazard type objectives.
0: Sure. And on that note, you know, you, you could be a safety professional potentially working with a very large team. So how can safety professionals kind of go about getting their arms around that? As, as you know, you could have someone with, visual issues or there's a language barrier, you know, and everybody you know learns and receives information differently. So you, how can you go about knowing what's the best way to communicate with you know each and every person on your team?
1: Yeah, so that's a huge question, Scott. We could probably talk about that for multiple podcasts. but one of the big things about communication and comprehension is that it's not just about basic understanding. It's about that person's relationship with the messenger, right? So if you don't have a relationship with these people, you don't know that this person's colorblind, you don't know that English is this person's second language, you may not understand like what people's needs are, maybe this person needs safety glasses with readers in them, you know, all these different things. So a lot of it really just stems from building relationships and knowing the people that you work with, Um, even if you're doing consulting, maybe you're coming into a large group and it's the first day you've met them, you have to take the time to really kind of talk to people and understand what that situation actually is.
0: So you you really encourage safety professionals out there, you know, walk the floor, start those conversations, really get get to know people. So, you know, how to effectively communicate with them, it really does start with that relationship building. Absolutely. You've mentioned a few of them there, but you know, when you think about the different techniques for, you know, different people in your organization, addressing different types of things, you know, what are some techniques you found to be successful in, in communicating with your workforce?
1: I think one of the big one is to listen more than you speak, right? You know, I'm a human performance manager. And in that we say context drives behavior and is always true. 100% of the time, you need to understand the context before you can really do anything else. So having that listening going on, but also understanding the difference between impact and intention. I think a lot of times communication is misunderstood in the gap between impact and intention. So those misunderstandings, they can affect our personal lives and our workplace experiences. And a lot of the time, it's a result of this sort of assumption that we make based on your own perception, right? Based on that person's tone or how they're looking at you or their body language. And that causes misinterpretations of the events around us and the things that we're talking about. And that's where that gap is, is that intent is personal but the impact is not. And so a lot of times misunderstandings happen because there's a difference in the impact of what you're saying versus the intent. And so then you have people who are defensive on both ends because, well, that wasn't my intention. And they're like, okay, but it still impacted me this way. So it's really important to make that very clear. Like, what is your intention? What is the goal, you know, bottom line up front. And then we can start to communicate clearly and effectively and easily.
0: That's that's really interesting talking about the difference between impact and intention. I wanna talk a little bit more about that. It, you know, is it, you know, thinking about how you're gonna approach the conversation beforehand or kind of talk a little bit more about that and making sure things are coming off as you intend them with the different people you're communicating with.
1: Sure. And that can happen in a myriad of ways and situations, right? It could be something as simple as you're doing a training class and you're up there and maybe you're talking kind of like a know-it-all and the people think you're being condescending and they're just not gonna receive anything that you're saying, right? So you have to think about your tone, how you answer people's questions, how you encourage questions to be asked. Um, other scenarios, like if you're doing a root cause analysis, you know, is this about blame or is it about accountability, right? And how does the employee know the difference? How does the employee know that you're not trying to get them in trouble, that you really are just trying to solve a problem that you're on their side? So it really is probably, The next most important thing after being in a language that the person understands is what is your impact? Are you on the same page about what the intention was and how this employee is perceiving you? So some of it has to do with body language and tone of voice, right? Are you yelling? Are you speaking aggressively for no reason? Are you taking things too lightly? Like they have a very serious safety concern and you're sitting there giggling and smiling, right? You have to really think about how these things come off. You know, people say that you most communication is nonverbal so you have to think about those things as well
0: sure and i imagine along those same lines that empathy is is a big part of that as well especially what you talk about like root cause analysis and something like that trying to put yourself in a person's shoes to understand where they're coming from so you know you can best address whatever it is that's happened and be- best communicate with them
1: yeah that's a huge one saying something like the employee turned the wrong valve versus the valve on the left was turned instead of the valve on the right right there's a big difference between you did this wrong and the wrong valve was turned
0: on the other side of that along with you know communicating with your your frontline workers what have you found you kind of be effective in you know communicating with with executives and and th- things like that when you know you're trying to you know, push safety initiatives through whatever it might be? Are there certain techniques you found to be effective on, you know, that side of, of the the safety equation and, you know, achieving things you're looking to achieve?
1: Yes, I found with executives, they're really big on numbers and charts, and you should have a slide deck ready. And even if it's just, you know, a positive propaganda campaign that you're trying to get out, you know, you really have to give them the numbers to back up what it is that you want to do and why. Okay, I want to bring in this training program. This training program helps people recognize and avoid high risk situations. We want to do that because, you know, the last thirteen incidents we've had, nine of them had to do with the employee not recognizing the hazard. So we need some hazard prevention. In those nine events, we had this many injuries. It cost us this much in workers' comp. If we can prevent that by using this program, this is how much money we save, right? Dollars, dollars and cents, right? And then you can start talking about, you know, the touchy feely, you know, lives changed people being able to apply these topics at home type situation. But they really want to know, you know, from the P&L standpoint, how is this going to help our company?
0: You, you talked about training there. And that's something I've always been interested in when, you know, say you're you're going to be giving a training to a large group, for instance. And I mean, and maybe this goes back to, you know, that one-on-one communication conversations, learning how people best learn. Because You know, okay, you're you're gonna give a presentation to to 50 people on this hazard and you know, knowing how best to communicate with a larger group, so to speak. You know, some people are more familiar with technology than others, you know, language barriers are the things we've talked about. So, you know, in in that kind of a, a training setting, you know, how how do you know how best to, you know, deliver that training so you get the desired results?
1: There's a couple of things I like to do with larger groups, um, just because a lot of times you're walking into a room and I don't know the group, especially in the role I have now. You know, it impacts 10,000 people. Right. So I'm often talking to or giving a presentation to people I've never met. So when you're giving like a longer or like larger group presentation, there's a couple of things I like to do. Um, one of them is to always have support materials. So there are always some sort of a learning guide or a participant guide that has not only the activities that we're doing in the class, but also supplemental information, right? So they may not always get a copy of the slide deck, but any key points or key takeaways or important things that you want them to know, they have written down so that they can digest it at their own pace. They can refer to it later. I know for people like me, I really can't stand when a trainer is up there and they're like talking to me about, for example, a fall protection system and they're like, flying in parts of the system one by one and telling you about them, but I can't see the whole system. So I'm like, well, what does that have to do with the other thing? This makes no sense to me, right? I have to see the whole picture or I'm just not gonna get it. And that's just how I learned. For some people, that's great. But I like to, you know, bottom line up front is very important to me. So like give the whole picture and then break it down, um, making sure they have those support materials, but then also you can kind of take the temperature of the room, right? So if it's a live presentation, you know, you can try, Doing kind of the live polls, you know, throw a QR code up, let them use their phone to, you know, answer the questions, see how that works, see if they're receptive to it, or if they're just checking their email, because you might want to move to a different uh, situation, you might want to just ask people to raise their hands like you, you know, team A or team B, asking people for their perspectives, um, especially when you have groups of people who are more experienced, or the training is something like ladder safety, where we do it every year, we've heard it 30 times. You know, how do I make that better? So asking for their participation, if you can bring in, you know, guides, for example, like ladder safety. Um, One of the last times I did that training, you know, had a frame ladder and the task was, we're going to change a light bulb, right? How do do we change this light bulb safely? I asked for some volunteers. They kind of brainstormed a little bit. They did it. And then I asked the class, you know, is that how you would have done it? Is that how you would have done a JSA on this task? Right. So then we get to have some JSA practice. We learn about ladder safety and we get some good participation.
0: I like that example. And I'm always curious, again, everybody learns differently, but have you found that that hands-on engaged training has been more effective as opposed to, as you mentioned, you know, somebody going up and reading off a PowerPoint presentation or just you know talking for an hour that it really does help to you know, okay, we're going to actually get up on the ladder and do some hands on training so they get the visualization of that to you know, really keep them involved and engaged in the training.
1: I think most of the time it really depends on the topic of the training because oftentimes if your training is a soft topic you know, like ethics, you know, oh, I, what do I bring in to talk to you about that? Right. So you have to kind of shift from those like hands on, like, okay, I have a switch gear, let's lock it out to, okay, maybe we'll get in groups. Here are the topics. Here are some scenarios or, you know, in that participant guide, right? I've given you a scenario. We've got four players here. Okay. Let's, you'll be this person. You'll be this person. Let's read it out and let's discuss what happened, right? Something just to keep them engaged.
0: You mentioned guides and things of that nature. You know, what, what are, you know, some of those other kind of tools that safety professionals can use to to improve their communication you know especially in that case you know something that people can have you know have with them after the training is over to reference uh, you know going back to you know that comprehension and retention to make sure that information stays with them
1: so i love like one pagers or like wallet cards for certain topics if you really just you know i have four key points and i want you to know them you can put that in a wallet card and they can have it with them or you can make a one pager that really summarizes what you're talking about you can do an infographic you can use tools like Canva, and you can kind of make these highly stylized, highly visual versions of your presentation. Because some people just want to see it in a different way. Um, it does take a little effort on your part to do all that. But in addition to those type things, um, really kind of creating those working groups and conversations. So even if, let's say you're in a virtual training, you have 50 people, you can still use breakout groups, right? You can still have those small group discussions by putting them in breakout rooms. You can still use polls. There's all kinds of like native tools within, you know, Skype, Zoom, Teams that you can use. I really think one of the most important things in virtual training is keeping people within the platform that you're in. Because once you start sending them to links, you're just sending them to the rest of the internet and people get distracted, right? So using those types of tools, you can also do, like, oftentimes we have to send out like a safety blast or like a safety alert, like there was an incident or something was recalled and it's just kind of a one page, hey, you need to know this. One of the things I think is really great is to narrate those, right? So give a human voice to it. Don't just send a flat presentation. Um, You can also put in a little video of yourself. I use bitmojis a lot. Like I have a little animation that looks like me and I'll just like randomly pop her into slides, you know, pointing at something or looking at something, you know, doing something relevant to what the presentation is. Um, And it's just kind of a fun way to keep people, you know, focused.
0: I'm I'm glad you mentioned the the virtual training there. I know it's become such a big part of our world over the past few years. How have you found ways to make sure that people are staying engaged? Is you know posing questions in in a chat or things like that to make sure that you know people are engaged in in the training and as well as you know comprehending what they're receiving and able to ask questions if they have them.
1: I think um, one of the big things is, and this is a controversial opinion, but I don't think people should have to have their video on for your whole call. I, if you are doing a four-hour virtual training, like it is just exhausting, you know? I don't I don't think we should all have to sit there on camera and that's, that's a controversial opinion. Other people love it. I hate it. I like the idea of doing quick poll questions so you can take the temperature of the audience. Did they understand? What do they know about this topic? So for example, maybe you're switching into... Bullet point number two, or something, and asking the group, you know, how much do they know about this, or asking a question and giving answers that would indicate different levels of knowledge. Cause then you can see how deep you need to go into certain topics and things like that. Like I said earlier, using those breakout rooms, but giving them a clear objective, not just, hey, go talk about this for five minutes, giving them an objective like, okay, let's discuss, you know, if I had to break this task down into five steps, what would they be? Right. And then having them you know nominate a person to come back and say okay these are our five steps right so now i've got five groups telling me their five steps and lo and behold nobody's steps are the same right so let's talk about why that is why are no one's steps the same so we can get a good conversation in about sops and why sops aren't always going to give you the answer they're not necessarily going to troubleshoot for you they're designed for ideal situations right so you get into really good conversations about Work is practiced versus work is done. And you can add in all of those different kind of, you know, risk perception type conversations in addition to the topic that you're training on. So you get kind of multiple layers of training and it's more effective for the learner. They remember those conversations more than they remember, do this, don't do that.
0: Something you mentioned earlier, and I've I've heard in other conversations with safety professionals is the increasing importance and use of visuals, that that can really help overcome barriers of, of different kinds where, you know, people can see, you know, if you're trying to explain a hazard or a process or things like that, that can be really beneficial in helping effectively communicate with your workforce.
1: Yeah. So visuals are great. I think, you know, a lot of people, for me, like the, the number one thing is to have them do it in the field. Right. And to do that teaching as it's happening, but if you can't do that, you can simulate it. That's next best option. And if you can't do that, then maybe we can talk about videos or pictures. Um, The biggest thing about videos and pictures is I find that oftentimes the videos can be a bit too long. You lose their attention. You know, when you start getting over two or three minutes, people kind of zone out. Um, So it's really making sure that if you're using a visual, like a video, that you are really kind of clipped into what you really want to talk about. So you can make sure that you're starting that video. Maybe you need to start it at 2.17 and end it at 3.45, right? Just the important part so that we all kind of stay on the same task. So there are ways to do that. You can embed that into your slides. Um, You can cut the clips yourself. Now I'm not that tech savvy. I just embed them, tell it when to start, when to stop. But you can like create custom clips if you want to. You can take videos of yourself doing the task. I've seen people at Air Products do this, especially in our driver safety training group, is they will go out there, they'll get a truck, they say, this is what we're gonna do. And they will physically video the trainer doing it, right? So then when we talk about it in class, it's like, okay, this is me doing it. And it's just more personal. Pictures, we want to make sure that we're using pictures of the actual thing that we're working with. So if we're talking about, you know, locking something out, it needs to be a picture of that line or that machine specifically, not just any line or any machine, right? Because you don't want people to have to make those leaps in their kind of logical conclusions that want, you need to make it very obvious what we're talking about, what we're doing, right? So try to make it as realistic as possible and try to use images and videos of the real thing.
0: Sure. And I like your example of using the clips kind of to your earlier point, you know, something you can put in your wallet. Here's the takeaways that, you know, I want you to to get from this, you know, instead of, you know, we're gonna watch a half hour long video, you can just do, you know, a few clips or so like here, here's what I want you to to take away from from watching this. Any uh anything else you'd like to add? Any any final thoughts?
1: I think one of the big things about communication also is creating a safe space for questions, right? So I've communicated something and you did not comprehend it. So you're gonna ask me a question. Am I approachable in the first place? And do I understand the context of your question, right? So sometimes someone asks you a question, you need to ask them a follow-up question because they could have either significantly less or significantly more knowledge about the subject than you. So that question could end up being very nuanced and kind of beyond your depth, or you realize that you've had an entire hour with this person it was kind of above the level of their understanding. And it's basically a waste of time for both of you, right? So you really, that context of who you're teaching, what the group is and being approachable with those questions and being approachable with your answers, right? Not making someone feel inferior for asking a question.
0: All right, kind of going back to like you talked about earlier, the the empathy and trying to understand, you know, from every individual's perspective and, you know, and their experience so that will in the end help you do your job better. Yes, all right. Well, thank you so much again for coming on, Lindsay. I really enjoyed the conversation. You gave everybody some uh, some great tips to go out there and uh, help uh, better communicate with their workforce.
1: Great. It was good talking to you, Scott.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org. We'll see you next time.